0: So 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 27. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own, li- at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel." But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward, that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel? For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law." To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it every athlete exercises self-control in all things they do it to receive a perishable wreath but we are but we an imperishable so i do not run aimlessly i do not box as one beating the air but i discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others i myself should be disqualified this is god's word for us this morning
1: All right. Well, hello, church. It's good to be gathered together. My name is John. I'm the pastor here. And uh, whether you are part of our church family or just uh, joining us this morning for the first time, uh, it's good to have you. You're welcome, and you're wanted here. Uh, I want to invite you, if you haven't yet, to open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. What Holly just read. Oh, my stand is being weird today. All right, that'll be fun. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you got a Bible, if you got a book, if you got an app, uh, if you brought your scroll to church today, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, As you're turning there, I just want to catch you up uh, with where we have been. We are, as a church, walking through 1 Corinthians, which is the Apostle Paul's letter uh, to a young church, uh, helping them make sense of uh, life, make sense of following Jesus, uh, because they... Thank you, Justin. That's great. It's just going to keep getting lower and lower while I go. All right. Try that again. 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul is helping this young church make sense of how to follow Jesus, because if you think about it, they're the first generation of people to follow Jesus. Up until that point, right, Jesus has only kind of, in the past generation, uh, died and rose again, and so this church, from various different backgrounds, is coming together to say, okay, what do we do now? How do we make sense of Jesus uh, and following him? And so the Apostle Paul has been answering their questions and answering the things that they're concerned about. Uh, We've seen him talk about community, we've seen him talk about what the gospel is, we've seen him talk about leaders, what are good leaders and what are bad leaders in the church. We've seen him talk about sexuality and relationships. Uh, And where we find ourselves today is in the middle of three chapters in which Paul is talking about how we deal with our disagreements. Uh, Because this church, uh, like us, is coming from different places, they're coming from different backgrounds, and they're coming together, and they're saying, okay, let's follow Jesus, but pretty soon, once you spend time with people, you start to realize, hey, we're not all the same. We have different opinions and we have different perspectives on things. And so Paul is taking three chapters to help us understand how we fight for unity in the midst of our different opinions about the things of life. And so in chapter 8, Paul talked about the the issue, which was food sacrificed to idols, which for us doesn't seem like that big of a deal. You know, you probably didn't go to the grocery store and say, hey, this food was sacrificed to idols, I'm going to pass. But for them, it was an all-encompassing thing. It was a thing they had to think about every day. And it was dividing the church into two camps. And so Paul is helping us make sense of how do we work together when we disagree. Uh, So that's where we are in chapter 9. And in chapter 9, Paul is going to invite us to explore our inner world. What goes on inside of us in our thinking, in our heart, in our attitudes when we have a disagreement with someone, when we don't see things eye to eye. eye. So he's going to help us kind of make sense and explore what goes on inside of us so that we can better navigate our disagreements uh, with clarity, with purpose, with compassion, and with Christ-centered love. So that's where we're going to be in chapter 9. We're going to look at three things in Paul's teaching. First, we're going to look at the purpose of the church. Then we're going to look at uh, the priority of the church. And then third, we're going to talk about the preferences in the church. So the purpose, the priority, and the preferences. Three P words for a Sunday morning. So first, let's talk about the purpose of the church. What is this thing called church all about? I came across a survey. Uh, It was dated to 2019, so it's pre-pandemic, which means that it's probably irrelevant at this point because the world is so different. Uh, But they asked people, uh, why do you go to church or why do you participate in a faith community? And these are the top four answers uh, for choosing to attend a religious service. The first most common answer was that church helps me grow closer to God. So I come to church, and I'm in worship, and I'm surrounded by people who are all looking to Jesus or or centered on what God is doing, and so I grow closer to God through church. Uh, Second is that uh, children will have a moral foundation. I want my kids to be moral and to be raised with good morals. Third is to make me a better person. I come to church, and it challenges me, it encourages me, it calls me out on things to help me be a better person. And lastly, the fourth most common answer was for comfort in times of sorrow. I come to church so that when I go through hard times, I'm encouraged, I'm built up, people bring me a meal. Now those are all really good reasons, and I hope that... Uh, keep that on the screen for a second. Those are all really good reasons, and I hope that you experience that in your time at Wingfoot Church. Right? That we gather together on Sunday, and I hope that you feel closer to God as a result of our time together. Uh, we are, try to be very thoughtful about our kids' ministry, and how do we teach kids the gospel of Jesus and, and offer them catechism so they can think well about who God is and what it means for their life. Uh, I hope that as we spend time in God's Word and in community that you're challenged to grow and to change, to be transformed by what Jesus is doing. And I hope that you find that our community is a very caring place when you go through hard times. These are all really good things, but I want to I offer to you that none of those things are the purpose of church. That none of those things are the actual purpose of what we're here for this morning. Now hear me, those are good things. We want you to grow closer to God. We want to raise kids to follow Jesus. We want you to be comforted. But at the end of the day, the purpose of church is not about those things. And I want to show you why I can say that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul, you'll notice he kind of gets really interested in agriculture for a second. And you're kind of like, why are we talking about milk? Why are we talking about farmers? Right? He's in the middle of an argument about disagreements. But the point that Paul is making in verses 1 through 12, he, he's talking about himself. And he's talking about himself and his role as an apostle. He had a role in this church to play. He taught, he, he discipled, he, he made sure people were following after Jesus. And, and he says, in essence, in verses 1 through 12, that his role or his participation in the church could allow him to receive one of the benefits of his position. And that benefit is a salary. A salary. He says, I could get paid if I wanted to. I should get paid if I wanted to. After all, who plants a vineyard and doesn't sample some of the grapes? That's his idea. Is There are benefits that I could receive from being part of this community, and I would be well within my rights to do those things. It would be not wrong for him to do that. But he's using his own attitude about this as an example For the church that is in the midst of this disagreement. Because their disagreement is actually not about the most important thing. It's not about the purpose of the church. And that's what Paul says in verse 12. Take a look at it. He says, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Jesus. Verse 16, he says this, If I preach the gospel... That gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. You see, what Paul is saying is the purpose of the church is to make Jesus known. That is the purpose of the church. That is why we gather. And so he says, if the benefits of belonging to a church or the perks of my participation in a church become more important to the per- than the purpose of the church or if they create barriers to belonging in the church, then I will set aside those benefits so that we can stay true to our true purpose. Right? So the purpose of the church, why are we here? What is it that we're after? We are here to make Jesus known, to preach Christ crucified as our only hope for forgiveness and reconciliation to God and one another. That is the heartbeat and the purpose of the church. And when we get that wrong, What Paul is saying, when we confuse the benefits or the perks of belonging to a church with the true purpose of the church, what happens in our inner life is we begin to make church and community about me. That it becomes about the things that benefit me. So this list, like like to, to become closer to God, there's nothing wrong with that. Paul says there's nothing wrong with the benefits of belonging to church. But when they become more important than the purpose of the church... And I say, well, church is about helping me become closer to God, and this is how I become closer to God. Through this kind of worship, or through this kind of gathering, or through this kind of teaching, what ends up happening is I elevate the benefits that I receive, and it becomes more about me than it is about the true purpose, which is making Jesus known. And making Jesus known to all the nations. And that's at the heart of really Paul's argument here, is Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into every nation. And what's happening in this church is they're dividing up largely along cultural lines. And so he's saying this, when you make the benefits more important than the purpose, you become very me-centered. And when you're a me-centered about church or community, you cannot disagree well. Because it's about me. And about what I can get. And so if someone has a different opinion or a different perspective about what it means to grow closer to God or how I should be encouraged, or how I should be built up, when my heart says this is about me, I don't have any space for someone who's different than me. And so Paul says we have to be focused on the purpose, and anything that gets in the way of that purpose, or makes a barrier to someone experiencing that purpose, I need to be willing to set aside. Because the purpose of the church is to preach the gospel. And so the priority then, my second point of the church the priority of the church, whose purpose is to make Jesus known, is to reach people of all nations. That Paul says this in verse uh, verse nineteen, verse nineteen through twenty three. He's saying this: I want to reach people. Right, the priority of a church that is about preaching the gospel of Jesus will make reaching people a priority. That the most important thing that a church can do then is to reach out to people and help them understand the gospel of Jesus. So they can hear it in their own words, in their own language, in a way that they can understand so that they can respond to the gospel of Jesus and be made new. That this is the priority of the church. Because at the end of uh, of the story in the New Testament, we see a church gathered around the throne of Jesus, and it is from people from every tribe and every tongue and every language and every people group, worshiping Jesus. And so Paul is, in essence, making this argument that that we need to start working towards that now so that our church can better reflect Christ's kingdom. And so the priority of the church has to be about reaching people, and that's going to mean reaching people who are different than you, reaching people who have different experiences than you, reaching people who have different backgrounds than you. And so if you don't get the purpose right, you're going to be me-centered, and you're not going to be able to disagree well and fight for community in the midst of our differences. And I think Paul gives us a good picture of of what we should be thinking about as we navigate our differences together. There's three things that I think Paul does in verses 19 through 23 that I want to just highlight for us that we can be doing this inner work as we seek to be a community that is reaching all people, from all backgrounds and all cultures and all languages. What do we have to do and think about so that we can better reach people? The first thing that Paul does in verses 19 through 23 is Paul acknowledges our differences. He acknowledges our differences. He talks about these different uh, groups of people. He says those who are servants, those who are Jews, those who are under the law, those who are outside the law, those who are weak. You see, Paul is aware of and acknowledging the differences that exist between people. Now, Paul is not making a categorical distinction that these people are image bearers and these people are not, but he's simply recognizing that we come from different places and we come from different backgrounds. And so what will it look like to reach a person uh, who's of the Jewish descent? What would it take to reach them? It's going to take a certain set of thinking, a certain kind of approach to reach them. It's going to take a different approach to reach someone who's outside the law, someone who did not grow up hearing about the God of the Bible. And so his approach is going to be different and so Paul first and foremost he acknowledges the differences. That a church that doesn't acknowledge the fact that there are cultural differences, language differences, ethnic differences, like a church that does not is not open to acknowledging that is going to be a church that's going to be ineffective at reaching people. And so Paul says first we need to just let's just think like what are the backgrounds that people are bringing and how are those going to create barriers? to people hearing about the gospel of Jesus. And so acknowledging our differences, right? And getting a little bit deeper than just like, like oh, this, this is what the difference is. Getting a little bit deeper. You see, uh, culture is kind of like this iceberg, right? Like on the, on the surface, we see things as very, like, like our, our language, right? When someone speaks a different language, it's very clear they come from a different background, different culture. Uh, food is this visible culture, what we see. Uh, how you dress the music that you listen to, those are all aspects of culture that you can see. And so these are kind of the easy things for us to talk about, the easy things for us to navigate. But the reality is that we have a deep culture that's beneath the surface. It's the culture of your family of origin, the culture of your nation of origin, your ethnicity of origin, and that has to do with personal space. Some some groups of people have very close personal space. And if you grew up in a family that, that had very far personal space, that's uncomfortable. Concepts of time. If if being on time is late to you, uh, that's because your culture, your family of origin, valued efficiency, and time was something to be managed. But you might come from a culture that time is flexible. Time is fluid. And so being on time means somewhere within a two-hour window. These are all aspects of our deep culture. And so Paul is inviting us to acknowledge that we each bring this to the community. We each bring the, this whole world to the community. And, and it's important for us to think about this because it's very easy to feel like we are on the same page in a five-minute conversation before church. You talk about your week. Uh, you shake hands or you fist bump or you hug. Uh, but we have these differences underneath us that we carry within us. And if we're not able to talk about that or acknowledge that, we can claim to be multicultural. Or we could claim to be for all people, but the reality is, people's experience of our community will be that we're actually monocultural, because we haven't actually thought about these things. And so we need to think about these things. Paul says, acknowledge the difference. Acknowledge that some that there's going to be some barriers for Jews that aren't going to be barriers for those outside the law. But he says we need to be able to think about this and talk about this. Now there's a there's a bad way to talk about this, which is acknowledging our differences like, oh, you're weird. And that's, not, that's not what Paul does. This is all inner work. This is thoughtful work that he is doing as he seeks to engage people who are different than him. And he says, church, we need to be able to acknowledge this so that we can effectively reach people. So the second thing that Paul does is not only does he acknowledge our differences, but he adheres to the essentials. He adheres to the essentials. Because you could read Paul in verse 22, he says, I become all things to all people. And he sounds like a doormat. I just do whatever, whatever it takes. I will, I will change, I will compromise, I will, I will do whatever it takes so that more people come in the doors. But that's not his attitude. You see, he adheres to the essentials. In verse 21, he says this, to those outside the law, I become as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. He's saying this, that, that those who are outside the law, those who don't know God's law, I want to reach them, but never to the point That I compromise my identity in Jesus or my belief and understanding in who he is and what he's done. And so Paul adheres to the essentials of Christian faith and practice, but he also says this there's a lot of stuff that we probably add to that. There's a lot of additional things, secondary and third level things that we add to that. And so he says this adhere to the essentials. What are the core beliefs and understandings that Christians have held about Jesus? For, for centuries and how do we hold to that and not waver on that right like christ is the only way to god and that's something that jesus clearly revealed so we hold to that the scripture is the, the the authoritative word of god so we hold to this right the the spirit is present in all those who who trust in jesus we hold to that like there are some core things that we hold to as we seek to effectively reach people And so this isn't just a, like, well, whatever we need to do. But he's saying this, as I think about the essentials of who Jesus is, I hold to those, and then in my methods of reaching people, in my attitudes towards people, I do whatever I can so that they can hear about Jesus. Because if we do whatever we can to reach people, but we compromise on Jesus, we're not reaching people, as God calls us to. And so he adheres... To the essentials of Christian faith and practice. But lastly, what he says is this, as we adhere to the essentials, we allow for different preferences with grace. We allow for different preferences with grace. And I think what Paul is saying here is, is that as we do this work, we're going to start to realize that some things that we thought were essential are preferences, Or some things that we thought were were commands are actually preferences. As we hold to the essentials and as we acknowledge our difference, our preferences are those things that you say, you know, I really like this, but it's not a command from God. Now, the things that God has commanded and the things that are essential to Christian faith and practice, those things are true for all people for all time. And so we should hold to those things. But in the things that aren't, I need to think of those as preferences. Right? Think about preferences. like when you have a if you've got a phone, you've got preferences on your phone. Right? You can change the text size, right, depending on how good your vision is. You can change the brightness depending on how good your vision is. Most of it has to do with your vision, right? But you can you can change your preferences. There's little toggle switches like left and right. Your preferences don't change kind of the fundamental reality of the phone. But you're saying this is what I like, and I'm gonna hold to what I like. That's a preference. And so if someone can't do what you do following Jesus if they don't have your resources, if they don't have your culture, if they don't have your 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 background, then it's probably not an essential to following Jesus. And so what are some things of preference? Uh, musical style is a thing of preference. Right? Like there's no chapter and verse in the Bible that says uh, only guitar and drums or only organ and hymns or only gospel music. Like those things are tend to be preferences. And so when I think about them in preferences rather than commands or how things have to be, then I'm able to say, you know what, I would prefer this, but it doesn't have to be this way. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying those things that are secondary, those benefits that I could claim if I wanted to, that are good, but they get in the way, I'll set aside. He never says it's bad to claim a salary as a pastor. He never says it's bad to want to hold these benefits but when my preferences become a barrier, then I have to turn that off and say the priority is reaching people. What else are preferences, right? Musical style is an easy one. How you dress, that has a whole bunch of things about your culture and your background and, and maybe you grew up dressing up for church. Maybe you like dressing down for church. That's a preference. Time, right? If, if you grew up in a family that had time, it was very efficient. You want a tight 60-minute service that starts right at 10.30 and one second. And you want it to be done right at 11.30 and one second. Why? Because your culture says time is to be managed. But maybe you grew up in a background that said a church service that is shorter than two hours, the Holy Spirit was not there. Right? That's a preference. It's part of your experience. But what happens is oftentimes when we confuse our preferences, for the commands of God, then we start saying, no, you need to be like me. Or this is the right way to follow Jesus. Or this is the true way to gather as a community. And what ends up happening, if we're not thoughtful about this, is we put up these barriers, but then we say, well, why don't people feel welcome? It's because we haven't done the work to say, what's the essentials? And then be willing to set aside our preferences so that we can reach people. Like think about that neighbor that you know who you're like they they would never step foot in a church. What would it take to reach them? Like like what would you have to do and what would you have to set aside and what would you have to give up of your preferences of church so that they could hear about Jesus? You have to give up some of your comfort. You have to give up some of your time. We might sometimes I think about this. How do you convince someone who's never gone to church on a Sunday morning to get up on Sunday morning and come to church? Like maybe that Sunday morning at ten thirty time is a preference. So what would it take to reach people? Because people are the priority, and the purpose is to share Jesus with them. But now here's the secret. Paul weaves a little secret in here that I think is really good news for all of us. Look at verse twenty three. He says, "I do this all for the sake of the gospel." that I may share with them in its blessings. Here's what Paul's saying. You see, when we start talking about giving up your preferences, it can start to feel like you're losing. Like, you mean I, I, I don't get to do things how I want to do them. Or, or, or if I had a choice, I would want church this way, but you're saying I have to give up my preferences. And, and it can start to feel like we're losing out. But what Paul says is that when we as a church adopt this attitude, the secret is that we actually get more of the gospel, not less. We get more of God's presence, not less. We get a bigger understanding of Jesus, not less. He says this, that, that I may share with them in its blessings. It, what he's actually saying, that Greek word is like, that I might be a joint participant in the gospel, That when we are willing to set aside our preferences and we begin to see a community that represents all people from all nations and all languages and all cultural backgrounds, we get a bigger picture of the gospel. Then when I just say, well, it has to be my way, it has to be my preferences, you end up with a very small picture of what God is doing. But when I say, I'm willing to set aside what I want for the sake of reaching people, and we see people from all backgrounds come to know Jesus, you have a bigger view of the gospel. And so you experience a bigger part of who God is because you're willing to set aside what you want. And so when we say, I'm going to set aside my preferences, it starts to feel like, Well, I'm not going to get to know God. No, the reality is when you do that, you're going to see God work more, not less. You're going to experience his spirit more, not less, because we share in the gospel together. And when we share in the gospel together, we see God move in bigger, more powerful, profound ways than if it's just about me and my preferences. So how do we practice this in our lives? What does it look like to, to begin to do this inner work? I think there's two things that Paul invites us into. The first is discipline. Now, discipline does not sound like fun, right? That's not the word that you want to hear. But what what does Paul say? Look at verse 24. He says, "'Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body.' and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He's saying this, this work begins as each of us embrace a life practicing the way of Jesus. As we choose in our everyday life to embody Jesus' habits and attitudes, to allow Jesus to be our coach in essence. Now that seems like kind of a weird answer to this question of disagreements. You're saying, I need to work on my my discipline, my practice of the way of Jesus. What does that have to do with me? You see, what happens is as we wholeheartedly embrace following Jesus in our daily lives, we develop this daily practice of saying, you know what? I don't need to be in the driver's seat. Jesus, you're in the driver's seat. And so this daily practice of saying, Jesus, I want you to lead every part of me. I want you to shape my relationships today. I want you to shape my thinking today. I want you to shape my emotions today. As we do that work in our daily lives, we are training our our inner lives that are so often oriented about me to instead be oriented about Jesus. And so the discipline that we embrace following Jesus is training our hearts to not be so me-centered. And instead we say, Jesus, coach me. Lead me. I want to follow you. I don't want to be in the driver's seat. I want you to lead me. And so we discipline ourselves. We practice discipleship following Jesus. We do the things that he did and embrace the values that he had. And this is training our inner lives so that we can, when we come to disagreements, be able to do the second thing, which is discern. Discern between my my preferences and the commands of God. As I learn to follow Jesus and say no to what I want, discipline myself, then in our community life together, we can say, you know what? I, I've, I've developed this rhythm in my, in my heart of saying no to what I want so I can follow Jesus. And so when it comes to a disagreement, I'm going to do the work of saying, is this, a, is this a preference of mine? Or is this actually what you want, Jesus? See, Paul uses this picture of a boxy, boxer beating the air. And, and on the one hand, it looks really impressive. Right? You're like, man, that guy's got some power. But his point is this, that all that activity actually accomplishes nothing. And a church that loses the purpose of preaching the gospel of Jesus and loses the priority of reaching people with that gospel of Jesus becomes like a boxer beat in the air. Lots of activity, lots of things that we're doing, and we feel really good about it, but it's not actually accomplishing the purpose of the church. Paul says this, when we get the purpose right and we align our priorities and our preferences around that, We're going to experience the gospel. We're going to experience the presence and the movement of God in ways that you can't even begin to imagine. Because this is God's purpose for his church.